This is Channel 253. Citizen Tacoma podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Jenny Jacobs and I fly Alaska. To book your next flight, go to alaskaair.com. I'm Jenny. I'm Doug. And we are the Citizen Tacoma podcast, empowering an informed electorate. I thought we were informing an empowered electorate. In in the the city city of destiny. Hi, Doug. Hi, Jenny. On today's podcast, we had the kids who organized the March for Our Lives in Tacoma. Yeah, they're so cool. They're so cool, and they're totally going to change the world. They're very inspiring. Listen in. So hello, and welcome to Citizen Tacoma podcast, you guys. If we could all just kind of go around and say your name (coughs) and how old you are and what school you go to. Okay, I'm Nate Miner. I'm 14 years old, and I go to Truman Middle School. I'm Lydia Spencer. I am 15 years old, and I go to Stadium High School. I'm Kyungmin Yook. I'm 14 years old, and I go to Lakes High School. Great. Nice to meet you guys. Nice Thank you so you. much for coming on. Um, I'll just kind of direct my questions at different people, and you can pop in if you have more to say. Um, but what made you guys get involved? Well, I first heard about the Parkland shooting on the 14th, and... I honestly disgustingly thought it'll just pass over like any other tragedy because that's what our world has become. But mm. this time they stood up and they started doing something. But I also know that they're in Florida and we're in Washington State and that's as far as you can get from Washington. So even if something changed over there, it doesn't mean it'll change over here. So you need to stand up too. And there was a group of community members on Facebook who said, are there any students who want to start a march? And no one else seemed to be responding, so I said yes. And that's how that started. So then on February 25th, I started the Facebook page. And wow. in one day, we had 150 people like the page. And I sat there for five hours at the counter in our kitchen and answered questions and comments and did posts. And nice. it's been like that ever <laughs> until March 24th. How about you, Lydia? Um, So uh, February 14th was my birthday, Mm. and I came home from school sort of like – and I came home and it was really quiet, which was weird because my mom was off work that day, and so I sort of expected some sort of response. And I came into the living room, and she was just like, another school shooting. This one made the news. It was like, Mm. oh, okay, happens. Do they know how many are dead yet or if there are any? And she was like, at least two. And then an hour later, it went from at least two to 17. And I was like, this is this is a huge one. Yeah. Like, this one's super big and it's super scary. And so I sort of immediately jumped on board just at Stadium specifically about with organizing, you know, walkouts. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I saw the Facebook page for March, I was, like, super excited because I had been planning on going to Seattle or Olympia And then I was like, we're going to have one in Tacoma. Let's do it. And so I went to the planning meetings and just made it happen. (laughs) Nice. How about you? 
So I'm really sick right now, but um, <laughs> I heard about what happened in uh, Parkland, Florida with the shooting, and I was honestly just so disgusted, and I knew, like, if there's a time to speak up and do something, it's now. Like, if I don't do something now, I'm never going to do anything. With Sandy yeah. Hook, I was too young, but now I'm, I think, I don't want to say right age, but I think I'm an appropriate age to protest and make my voice heard. So I thought we need to have a march in Tacoma, so I looked up, I looked it up on Facebook, and... I found that people were putting it on, so I came to the planning meetings. Yeah, something I think that you guys have accomplished already, just the student movement in general, is that um, every time something like this happened before, people would say, now is not the time to politicize things. And because you guys took control, like, you've changed that. That's it really, also has really to do super with, awesome. There's a tipping point, you know? Yeah. There's been so many, but this one just really tipped off the edge, and that happens <clears throat> with major events and even go back to the civil rights movement and things like that, this can be the same. Yeah. And I think a really big thing is we've had shootings with higher casualty rates before, but this was the first time that we really saw a completely lack of sympathy from our government, you know, after Sandy Hook, one of the mm -hmm. biggest tragedies, you know, we had Barack Obama and he was very encouraging with, you know, this is, this is never going to happen again. We're going to do something. We're going to change something. All we had this time was a government trying to put more guns into the system right. and trying to add to the issue. Mm -hmm. And I think that really invigorated people as well with our government isn't going to do something about this. We need to make them do something about this. Mm. So when was your first meeting for the march? Our first meeting was on February 28th. I had to decide on February 25th because only having three and a half weeks to plan an event, yeah. you need to have as many meetings as possible. Yeah, And it was... A great turnout. We had almost 50 people show up to our first meeting. Wow. Mm -hmm. And I immediately, well, I opened the meeting, and then I said, we need to get in com into committees. So I listed all the committees uh, on the wall. Well, my mom wrote them down on the wall. <laughs> nice. People put their names under which one they wanted to do. And I know Lydia um, is the was the finance lead of her committee, and that's how that started. And then as we went on, more and more people kept showing up and different people so that it was good to have all the community mm. come out. So was there guidance from kind of like a national organization or did you guys just figure this all out yourselves? No, we had no any support like that. I know there was a grant that we had to, well, you didn't have to, but we applied for, which was for $5,000 from Everytown USA. They're yeah. a group that helps that works on gun violence, and they were supporting March for Our Lives. And we couldn't get a local organization to give us the funds because you have to have a local organization to have the funds. So we yeah. got a national organization. That's the, that's the only help we truly got. And we yeah. didn't really get to use the grant very much because we got it so late. Yeah. That it, it only helped a little bit because cause by then we could only pay for things out of pocket and then get reimbursed for it. We couldn't actually have the money and use it. Yeah, um, we also got some help from adults, obviously, with mm -hmm. finance and permits and legal stuff that we cannot do because yeah. we're not 18. Yeah, I'd say that was the only, like, we had adults sort of telling us, you know, this is what needs to happen, mm -hmm. and then we would go do it, and then we'd say, we've done this, you need to sign the contract, we can't legally do yeah. that. And then that's... Normally how I say most of that ended up working out. There were some adults that really helped. Like my mom, mm -hmm. I know Lydia's mom, and 
Miss Richie, she's a teacher at my school. She mm-hmm. was head of logistics and worked on getting all the permits done. I know my mom helped her with that, and Lydia's mom did a lot with finance as well. You guys did a really amazing job. I've been to my share of protests, and I was really impressed with yours. Thank I like you. The speakers were great. I could hear. That's kind of like <laughs> two of the main <laughs> things that are usually wrong with the protests is uh, not targeted speakers or um, audio problems. And I, it was just a really wonderful event. I was very proud of you guys and of Tacoma. It was really, really cool. Thank you. Thanks. Um, so... Have you guys ever been involved in other protests before? Or was this your first kind of getting involved? Well, it was my first protest. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've done other things it? in my school <laughs> to help change the community. Community, Like I presented to the board of the actual school about racism and bullying, and it resulted in a two-day workshop on bullying and racism. And I've done other things like that, too, like a sharing table at our school so people can share their ideas. And we actually changed quite a few things. And I'm the ASB vice president, so I presented that to the ASB. Um, so I moved to Tacoma last August, so I hadn't wow. been involved in a lot of Tacoma-specific events or groups. I'd done other stuff. You know, I'd marched all different times, and I'd organized. Um, so I moved from Lewis County, and I worked to help organize a few like Lewis County Indivisible minor events, but nothing of this size or anything close to it. I had never done a protest, a march, or anything. I had been kind of politically active. I campaigned for Mayor Victoria Woodards, so, and I created a high school council in my city, but that's about it. It's really impressive. You guys are setting yourself up for future (laughs) action, I'm sure. Um, so, can you tell me more about what it's like to be a kid in school right now with all of this stuff going on? Like, what is? Ha, ha, it's hard for me to know because I'm an old lady, and so the only drills I ever had were earthquake drills. So I don't even know what any of this looks like. So, can you talk a little bit about that? About going to school and having to balance all of yeah. this. Yeah. Well, I have a lot of homework now, even on spring break. So that's really hard. Um, because I kind of made this my first priority and everything yeah. around this, so I've had to like stay up late. I don't get as much sleep trying to finish all my homework and do this. Yeah, I appreciate your hard work. Thank you. I think as far as like in school fear goes, yeah, it's a lot more present because um, you do have a lot more uh, lockdown drills, and you have them at different levels. You know, you have sort of minor lockdown drills that you don't even notice where it's just the teacher closing the blinds, locking the door. You know, you have those minor things and then you have the ones where you are stay away from the windows, get down on the floor, you know, angle yourself away from the door and windows. Like you're sitting there and it really, I think it makes me think class to class. Uh, Stadium has uh, sub-basement to the fourth floor towers. It's a castle. Mm -hmm. And so I do think class to class, like... Would a school shooter go to the fourth floor? No, I can relax in biology. Precalculus is on the first floor. Uh Uh-oh. Like, I think about that class to class, and Uh, it's really sad. Honestly, I think people in my school try to avoid thinking about that kind of stuff. Like, I would post things on my Instagram and my Facebook, and the actual students on there wouldn't respond, or I would even get less likes on those posts. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But I also know that we've had 
a threat at our school too, even for a school shooting. And there were police around, but for me, that didn't really feel safe enough just having one police car there because mm-hmm. we have multiple entrances all around the school. It's a very mm-hmm. long school, and it it doesn't really feel very safe. I know I've had a lot of lockdowns in my life, not internal lockdowns, but external ones. I remember in fifth grade, I went to Sherman Elementary, which is um, closer. Uh, it was in the north end. Yeah. Uh, we had at least seven lockdowns that year. It's external lockdowns because there were lots of robberies and people running around. Um, so we had a lot of external lockdowns that year. And I remember when I was in kindergarten, I went to Bryant Montessori, and there was a robbery, and the guy actually came onto the school playground, and we had a lockdown for about three hours while the police had to try to corner him and make sure he didn't go into the school too. So it's been very normal in my life, I think all of our lives. Yeah dealing with this, it's the same as having an earthquake drill or a fire drill to us. Something that I mentioned in my speech was that I don't feel safe, and the first thing I do when I enter a new room is look for a place to hide in case there's a shooter, and I hate to say it, but that's the first thing I did when I came in here. I was like, if someone comes in here and starts shooting, where could I hide? Like, where's the first exit? And it's drilled into us from kindergarten. Yeah, and it's so normalized, and I think that I think that speaks volumes on how normalized this has become in our country, that that's the first thing I have to do when I enter a room and I don't question it. I don't question why I do it. It's it ju- I just do it. It's instinct mm. now. Yeah, I have a friend whose mom works at an elementary school, and I went to go um, visit my friend, and I was in her classroom, and I was looking at all the cabinets. I'm like, oh, those would be great places to hide. Like, I, It was so automatic I didn't even think about it yeah I've wondered how that works when I mean I have small children so I know what what their shooter drills look like but they're in the same classroom all day long and it must be different when you have to switch classrooms all the time you have drills during every single class period at different points throughout the year and every time you enter a new classroom you're supposed to look at um Teachers are supposed to have it posted on a wall of their classroom what their protocol is and Mm -hmm. where to go and what to do. But I know two of my six teachers don't have it posted, and I've had to talk to them specifically. And that's always really scary is when teachers don't tell you what their protocol is or where to go. And I know that's one thing that I notice right away, and it tells me, like, which teachers I'm going to like. You know, Mm -hmm. what teacher is going to tell me where to go to be safest. Mm -hmm. The teachers haven't really, at my school at least, they haven't really told us where to hide. So when I enter a new classroom, like, I have to figure it out on my own. In biology, I know I have to hide behind the desks. And in English, I'm like, oh, there's nowhere really good to hide. So if the shooter shoots through the glass, I have to hide um, in that in that corner over there because they might not be able to reach us there. And it, and it varies from class to class. Yes, because every classroom is really different. Like my Spanish classroom, it half the school is underground because it's on, a, it's on a hill. So that classroom has no windows except for the door. So if a shooter came in, you'd be cornered and there'd be no way to get out. But it's not like that for every classroom. And since I'm in eighth grade, all the eighth grade, all the eighth grade hallways on the downstairs, so we have all the windows and we could jump out. But I know the seventh graders and the sixth graders are on the top floor, so they have to jump out of the window. And... I honestly think the easiest class to get out of would be banned, even though there's no, there's no zero windows in that classroom. There's the door that actually exits outside, and they, and our band teacher has actually told us if there's a shooter to run up Pearl Street because it's right next to Pearl Street and go to the Dairy Queen. Mm. 
Was there ever a time in your lives where there weren't shooter drills? Has this been a part of your school experience? Since preschool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I didn't really think about it, though, until Sandy Hook happened. And when Sandy Hook occurred, (coughs) I was in third grade. Yeah. Because before that, it was normal, just like another earthquake or fire drill. You didn't think about it. But that happened, and I realized how scary that was. I was I had just turned nine about two weeks ago yeah. when that happened, and it, it really got to me. It was also Christmas time, and it was it was a mm-hmm. lot. Mm-hmm. It's interesting what you say about having it affect you differently. I brought my nine-year-old son to the march, and he had a really good time making his sign, and he listened very carefully to the speeches. And then Monday morning didn't want to go to school. And this is a child who has been in active shooter drill since kindergarten. I mean, I can remember the first day he came home from kindergarten and and told me about it. Of course, he didn't use those words. His his teacher had said, yeah, if somebody comes onto the campus and tries to bother the (laughs) students, we're going to (sighs) hide. But he's in third grade now, and it had never occurred. I, I mean, I guess he didn't make a connection between the drills and it actually happening until I took him to the march. For mm-hmm. me, it's been a really present part of my life. Even before school, my father's a teacher. And so even before I was in school, you know, every time my parents watched the news or talked about that stuff, even when I wasn't supposed to be listening, I sort of I knew, like— my parents would talk about, you know, I heard the my dad saying, like, I should just quit. This isn't, mm. why should I do this with my life? It's not okay. Like, I heard those conversations, and I think Sandy Hook was really when I sort of realized, like, that's what that's about. Yeah. That's what those nights in front of the news, you know, sort of crying are about. Just the, for me, it was really Sandy Hook where that impact hit. Mm-hmm. It's interesting you say your dad is a teacher, so that means you have two different angles for this issue. Because if a shooter were to come into your dad's classroom, he would be jeopardizing your family by protecting his students. Yeah. I even almost forgot that when that happened, it was Christmas time, and we were having our sing-along at school, and it was all the visitor passes were re- it's restricted only if they didn't let a bunch of people come in because mm-hmm. it just had happened like two days ago. It was on December 14th. So, that, mm-hmm. so there were barely any parents in the room and there were actually less students. There were barely any students there that week of school after it happened too. This is Nate Bowling, host of the Channel 253 sister show, The Nerd Farmer Podcast. Channel 253 is brought to you by Alaska Airlines. They're my airline of choice. When I need to book a flight, I don't mess with the travel sites anymore. I go straight to Alaska Air and book direct. It's not even a question for me. When I'm on board, the flight attendants are courteous and the service is efficient. That's really important to me. Also, they've got a killer cheese plate. Seriously, get the fruit and cheese plate next time you fly. And they have Northwest Craft Beers. I feel like a human when I fly Alaska. I'm a customer, not a commodity. Alaska is such a good airline and has such good service, I forgive them for sponsoring the Timbers, my rival. And if I'm willing to do that, you know Alaska must be good. I'm Nate Bowling, Alaska Airlines MVP, and I fly Alaska. I've got a question. Go, Doug. Yeah, it's um, it's a really broad question, which is kind of what is the problem? What is the solution? Obviously, the problem is somebody coming into a school and shooting people. But on a deeper level, what is the problem and what is the solution? Um, so I was having this conversation just the other day about what is America's problem? Like, 
you know, Iceland and its entire existence has had one fatal police shooting. You know, there are countries where they can calculate how many bullets their policemen have discharged, how many fatalities have occurred due to gun violence. For us, it's incalculable. Like, we have so many. And I think it's easy access. I think every policeman and every person knows that it's easy to purchase, easy to obtain, whether legally or illegally, any caliber of firearm. Mm -hmm. And I think that comparing that adding that to, um, you know, paranoia, implicit bias, uh, mental illness, I think it just creates a toxic culture. Um, It creates uh, just the worst possible situation for people to be growing up in as far as safety goes because any person on the street can so easily obtain a weapon stronger than any police weapon that they have within easy access that we cannot be protected and we sort of understand that from a young age Mm. and i think it really creates a toxic culture and then we get so angry about it that more shootings happen due to mental illness and anxiety and paranoia And it just, it all contributes to a toxic culture. I think another problem is also background checks. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure that if you sell privately, you're not required Mm -hmm. to um, run a background check, which is, I didn't even know that. And I heard it. I was like, that is so dumb. That does not make any sense. And um, yeah. 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 And also there's a problem with agencies that don't report uh, certain people's background checks or court cases to the system. Mm-hmm. Like the shooter in Sutherland Springs, he was convicted of a felony or assault or something. So he should not have been able to obtain a weapon, but he did because I believe it was the U.S. military or something that failed to report that yeah. to the background check system. And that's, yeah. I also know that for the past two generations, our psychological development is different than kids kids who were in middle school and high school in the 90s even because of these shootings it's so normal for us that we don't even think about it all the time mm-hmm. and before before the first major shooting in 1999 people weren't thinking about something like that happening yeah and i know there's there's just so many shootings i know i think it was yesterday or the day before there was just a the youtube headquarters shooting mm-hmm. or she yeah the, well she was mentally ill and she didn't like how they were handling her videos, and so she went to the headquarter and shot people. I think yeah. there were two deaths. Yeah. I I was thinking of that when you were talking about access, because I really do think that the access is a big part of the problem, because I don't think a lot of people who th- think they might want to have a gun would really like follow through getting a gun if it were harder. Right. It seems to me. I mean, some of these these people who are so mentally unstable, are they going to, you know, go through? Because the argument, of course, that you hear all the time is that, you know, if guns are illegal, then only criminals will have guns or whatever. And I just don't think that, you know, Nicholas Cruz, with all of his many problems, mm-hmm. would have gone to the black market, wherever that is, to find a gun. You know, what do you go to the like it's bad right. part of town yeah. and start inquiring? Like that sounds really hard, yeah. right? Just like marijuana, it there were people doing it illegally when it wasn't legal yet, but now because it's legal, more of it happens. So if you ban certain ban certain guns, like assault weapons, 
there would be less of it, even if people were getting it illegally. And I think mindset is a huge thing as well. Um, you know, it America's issues from citizens just being able to very easily think like I can do this and it's I'm not getting gonna get in trouble because the number of shooters who ever face conviction they almost all commit suicide or mm. suicide by cop you know very few ever go to prison you know there's a lot of there's a very thin line bes- between suicide and homicide i mean 80% of washington state's gun deaths are suicide not homicide um, <coughs> i think that's a huge thing that we need to look at very closely is mental health yes it's a huge perpetrator but if the mentally ill cannot find such a lethal way to harm themselves or harm others it's not going to create as many tragic losses and deaths. There's also a problem with politicians taking money from organizations such as the NRA. And um, those politicians need to start representing the people. I think it was like a Quinnipiac University or something. They had a poll where it said 97% of Americans want universal background checks, and yet we have not seen substantial action from the federal government to get these background checks in place. And I think a large part of that is politicians that are receiving money from the NRA. So they don't want to risk losing their money in order to protect the American people. And that's a shame, and it's a disgrace. I even... Oh, sorry. (laughs) Okay, I even know for... um, for politicians, it's not even it's not just politicians for school shootings. It's even the administration and students. What are they doing to have a more inclusive school environment? Because peop- most of these shootings happen because kids feel left out or because people aren't trying, and that's why that this happens. And I'm going to be honest, it's not just schools. I know Sandy Hook was not a student who did that. It was a grown man, but. Like my my administration told us that we need to be we need to be more friendly, and they actually told us if there's a if you think that someone's in a shoot up the school, become friends with them. They, they but they're not trying to do anything themselves to help the solution. They're just like you guys do it. Yeah. I know my my school. They put up on our on our reader board. Um, it said, it said, um, what was it? Uh, I don't even know anymore, but it was it was saying that something was our motto, and it was all ha- about happy stuff, but they've never even said that to us. They're just putting it on the reader board to make it seem like that. They're not really trying. They're just telling us to do something. Right. And it's everybody. I think that the culture in our schools, because I think the federal government's um, money and profit is a huge part of gun violence because I, I've i heard the 97% statistic, but 10, 90% of people, and I think a good 85% of gun owners, I read that somewhere, I'm not sure the source, so maybe don't quote me on that, but um, <laughs> a huge portion of gun owners agree that you know we need some common sense gun laws like i have a neighbor he owns nine different guns he was say, i was talking to him about the march he goes oh yeah they need to get rid of assault rifles like we don't need those yeah well it's also people don't understand they think we're trying to ban all guns 
we're not trying to do that. We're just trying to ban assault weapons. There's a really big difference. And some people think, and some people don't understand, like, I know there's a lot of people on the page that have said, like, why aren't you doing a march against teens dying from, from texting and driving? And it's not the same thing because... Ugh. What about ism? It's not something that you can control. A school shooting, you can't control that someone's going to come in and start shooting up your school. It's it's a very yeah. different spectrum. People don't understand that. Yeah, and just to go off of what Nate said earlier, I think we could always use more kindness in the world, and you should always, you know, if someone's sitting by themselves, maybe you should go sit next to them and try and start a conversation. However, I feel like with people like the shooter in Parkland, Florida, even if um, you were nice to him. I still think he would have done it anyways. There was an article that someone wrote, a student at Marjorie Stoneman, Douglas High School. They said I was, f- the article was called, I was friends with Nicholas Cruz or I was kind to Nicholas Cruz and he still shot my friends. Mm. So I think, Right. Yeah. This myth that kindness can stop school shootings. Yeah. It's like... There was an attempted shooting at my old middle school a few weeks ago, and I knew the kid. Like, my sister had run cross-country with him, and I'd had conversations with him. Like, the idea that kindness and compassion and sitting next to someone at lunch is going to stop mental illness, is going to stop teen depression is going to stop anxiety it's there's no basis for that it's Mm -hmm. not going to solve the problem yeah and i think if you're like awful enough to shoot up a school or shoot somebody with the intent to kill them and not in self-defense i don't think sitting next to them at lunch is going to really do anything and most of them happen on the spur of the moment too people just get angry and they decide i'm going to go do this it's not there are some that have been planned for months, but most most of them are just, I'm going to do this today. Well, you guys are savvy to have seen the flaw in that logic because I think that whole notion was meant mm-hmm. to shift the blame from yeah. where it belongs to something that is that is more nebulous, that is not, you know, their, anybody's fault. I think that's mm-hmm. kind of the cool thing about you guys getting involved is that it seems like you guys are behind the notion that we can change things. And I feel like a lot of older people are just like, "Eh," you know, we can't. We tried. It's too hard. There's too much money. Well, I do have a follow-up to the money idea is, uh, you know, sort of the holy grail of late-stage capitalism is how do you get the money out of politics? Do you have any notions of that? Yeah, can you guys take on some more issues for us, please? The world is broken. We need you <laughs> well, to fix it's, it. Well, it's, you know, if we've identified that as sort of a problem that's in the way of the solution, how do you do that? Um, well, hopefully politicians will straight up stop taking or have the moral, um, have the morality to stop taking money from organizations such as the NRA. That's one thing. I think another huge thing is, you know, l- legal limits. Like we have laws mm. that prevent you know, certain things from happening. But I think it's there has to be some way of legally preventing politicians from accepting donations that are going to steer them away from what their job is. Politicians are put in power to execute the ideals and wishes of the people they represent, not to help their own wallets, Hmm. not to do what 
the NRA wants, not to do what Walmart wants, not to do what any organization wants. You know, there's no organization that should have the power to override the wishes of the people. And there's also talk of overturning Citizens United. Um, I th mm -hmm. think it's where corporations or organizations can give an unlimited amount of yep. money mm -hmm. to campaigns, which is ridiculous. Um, yeah. And I think the logic behind it was that it's a form of free speech or something, and mm -hmm. that does not make any sense to me either. So that's another step we could take. Definitely. I think the way they're controlling politicians now is that they threaten to primary them if they don't continue to vote the way that they want to. And what mm -hmm. needs to, what could, is probably going to have to happen is a complete refresh everybody who's, who's there already because we need people in power that aren't going mm -hmm. to be purchased by yes. special interests. Um, can you tell me what you have learned from this experience? What are you going to apply to future experiences? Well, I've definitely learned that if you stand up for and you believe in something, that you can change something. If you have the mindset that it's not going to happen, then it won't happen. But if you seek the change, the change will come eventually. It'll take time. It's not over yet. Even though we we only did one march, it's not over. Most, things haven't really changed yet. We have to keep going. But that mm. if you believe in something, it can come true. I pick think, up any new skills, Lydia? I think a big one for me is just that people are on our side in a lot of issues. I think, you know, seeing Lori Jenkins show up and Derek Kilmer show up and all of these politicians, the mayor and everybody, just they came out and they they really were there to support us and help us. And I think that it really, it shows that there are people in power who are seeking the good of the general populace and that we really need to empower those people more as instead of just, you know, writing off like you're taking donations from these organizations, the Congress is corrupt. You know, we need to look at who's doing the right thing and mm -hmm. empower those politicians as we retract from the others. And I think that one of the biggest things I learned throughout this experience was just remembering the, that there are there is still a need for. Um, proper empowerment and proper um, use of the people's voice and mm. that we really just need to continue to bolster those who are going to do what's right in politics. Mm. It was a very hopeful experience for me. I've definitely realized the true power of ordinary citizens such mm -hmm. as ourselves. And I've also learned that if you want to see actual change, especially with the topic this politically difficult, you need to take this beyond one march. Yeah. One march isn't really going to fix anything in terms of legislation. Uh, this is a marathon, not a sprint. So after this, we need to keep going and keep the momentum going. And we can't stop until we see the change that we want. Is there further... I kind of wondered how affiliated all of the various marches across the country were, if there was any kind of um, help to guide you towards the next opportunity for action. Is there anything like that? 
not that I know of right now. Like the actual yeah. Parkland kids and oh, the people who created March for Our Lives, they haven't said anything yet about their next steps. But I know there have been has been talked about doing this march yearly until mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. changes. Um, I heard there was a town hall. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to talk about. Yeah. Um, my friend Julia Henningen, or yeah, Henning and I, we are planning a town hall this Saturday, April 7th, okay. at the Mason United Methodist Church from 2 to 4. I'm just kind of plugging this event. Yes, yes. Um, it's with um, Congressman Derek Kilmer and Representative Jake Fye. And it's going to be a town hall on gun control. And this is an answer to a call made by one of the student organizers in Parkland, Florida, who said that our next step is to have town halls in every congressional district. And this is what we're doing in response to that. That answers my next steps question, everybody. We're going to have to get this one out quick, Doug. Mm -hmm. Do it tomorrow. (laughs) Okay. Um, So aside from... The town hall that we can encourage people to go to. How would you like to see our listeners get involved? Um, vote. <laughs> I th- I, vote. One of the signs I kept from the march, it said, March, vote, change the world. Yeah. And I think that that's like the game plan here. You know, just the people walking and talking, it's not going to change the laws. It might change the culture, but it's not going to change the laws. And so mm-hmm. I think that voting and removing the corrupt politicians and replacing them with people who are going to do what's morally right for the citizens of the US, I think that's a huge step. Um so many politicians are currently um sort of stepping away from this issue they're backing off because they're trying to protect their donations mm-hmm. and i think that this is we're call i think that florida uh the florida students have really helped to call those politicians out they're yeah taking names and they're gonna vote them out and we're i think we really need listeners to help do that because i know i still got an, another three years before i'm able to help to that whole <laughs> part of this so yeah. i think that i adults really need to listen to the pleas of the children mm-hmm. and vote while we are still too young and i can't speak for the whole country but i know change is happening i know the washington legislature banned the use of bump stocks mm-hmm. and that will be effective i think it's it's always in July, so yeah. it's July of this year or next year. And I know that there was some place in Illinois that just banned assault weapons. Mm-hmm. Or was it rifles? I don't know, but it's pretty new. So change is happening. It's just going to be slow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Washington, we're split. We're pretty much split down the middle in terms of who's controlling our legislature. So especially if you're young and especially if you're a Democrat, um, please go and vote. Please register to vote. Young people and young or Democrats in general don't really turn up to the midterms. Mm. The presidential elections is not the only thing that's important. The midterms are very important, too, and that's coming up in a few months. So research the people that are running. Again, register to vote. Actually vote. And um, call your representatives. Start a club or something. There's yeah. so many things you can do. You guys are making a difference with the walking and the marching and the yelling at the top of your lungs. And it really does make a difference because I think before the Parkland shooting, part of the inaction by grownups, I think, was just that a belief that 
we couldn't change anything and that um, so many more people must agree with gun owners than not. And I think that you guys, your guys's movement and the people that showed up to the march and everybody continuing to remain active in this issue really helps <coughs> us all to realize that we can change it because there isn't as much agreement on this topic towards gun freedoms, I guess, than might have been thought, I guess. Most sensible gun owners support sensible gun control. It's true. Sensible gun owners aren't typically using their guns very much, right? They're Right. They're <laughs> for sport. You know, you go yeah. hunting. You can have one for self-defense, but you don't need an AR-15 to mm -hmm. go shoot a deer. Because yeah. also, if you're trying to eat the deer or sell it, you're not going to put a bunch of bullets in it. <laughs> There's yeah. no that's also, sense That's also it. very disrespectful, too, especially mm -hmm. in a hunting etiquette. I mean, I don't hunt, but I, I just, yeah. I've, I've heard from people who do. That's not what you do. No. I, I have a lot of friends who are Republicans and who are hunters, and they're all just sort of like, yeah, you guys can take away the assault rifles. It's not like we have any use for them in yeah. any real reason other than a desire to harm people. I even remember being as young as six in my head being like, why do we need guns? <laughs> why do we need yeah. guns? Yeah, you don't have to make caveats of what kind of guns are should be allowed. I'm pretty much in the, like, get rid of them all camp over here. So. <laughs> yeah, and if you need an AR-15 to shoot a deer, like... You got bad aim, man. Yeah, you have bad aim. You might need Super to choose a different aim. hobby. Yeah, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really? Sure. Um, just, I just, I think we've pretty much covered all of the topics, but I would like to give you all a chance to just kind of um, say what, if I didn't ask you what you were thought you might want to say, go ahead and let us hear it. Uh, I'd just like to give, out, give a shout out to all the community members and students who helped with the event. It wouldn't have been possible without all of them. And I even remember March 14th, which it was 10 days before the event, I was kind of scared because things weren't really coming together yet. But by our meeting on March 19th, I saw things coming together and people starting to flow with the certain things they were doing. And it was, it would become, it became evident that something was going, it was going to turn out good. Yeah. Good. Mm. Thank you. Um, I just, I really feel like we need to look at what's happening going forward. You need to take action. I think everybody out there needs to recognize that this is not a super complex issue. People are shooting children while they're trying to learn. Yeah, it's not a hard thing to say is wrong. <coughs> it's, it's not complicated. Yeah. There's no what's causing this. We know what's causing it. <laughs> like, we know why people are getting shot. Because mentally ill people are able to legally obtain heavy-duty firearms. It's it's not a mystery. Um, just get out and make a change because it's <coughs> it's an issue that isn't controversial. The only controversy comes from the NRA endorsed politicians. It shouldn't be a bipartisan issue. I also mm -hmm. have this post. I posted it on the Instagram, and I think it's really good. It says, I didn't realize children shouldn't be shot as a very controversial statement because... It doesn't make sense that we don't want to be shot and now that they're arguing with us because we don't want to be killed in in the learning environment. We shouldn't 
we come to school to learn, and we don't we don't want, ha- need to worry about our safety. Here's the, the picture yeah. too, if you want to see it. Yeah. And the, <clears throat> sorry, the March for Our Lives organizers laid out a few key goals that they want to accomplish on their website, and I wrote them all down. So number one is universal, comprehensive background checks. Two, digitize ATF records into a searchable database. Three, allow the CDC to use funds to research gun violence. Four, ban high-capacity magazines. Five, ban assault weapons. And I know that in our state of Washington, our Attorney General Bob Ferguson, he actually, I think, introduced a bill um, that would ban high-capacity magazines and assault weapons in our state. And he said that he's going to keep introducing this until until it happens. So I think we definitely need to do something on the state level and work with our Attorney General to get this passed. Um, yeah, I think the biggest thing is just get out and vote in these midterms. We have yeah. the power. End of the day, we choose who represents us, and we have to choose wisely. And also for your listeners, even remember that you can make a change. I just started a Facebook page, and then we almost had 2,000 people out of March just a month later. It's not—you it's, just don't doubt yourself— it's if you just believe in it, it'll come true. You have more power than you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. like I'm 14. Like I count using my fingers. Like if you can do it, <laughs> if I can do it, you can do it. You guys are so inspiring. <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna save the world. I believe it. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Citizen Tacoma podcast today. We are part of the Channel 253 network where you can also find the Move to Tacoma podcast as well as the Nerd Farmer podcast. And the Flounders B-Team, Crossing Division, and Taco Man podcasts. If you'd like to reach out to us about anything you've heard on the show today or if you'd like to suggest a guest or a topic, maybe there's something you've been wondering about that maybe we can investigate for you, please contact me at jennyjacobs253 at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at Citizen Tacoma. Citizen Tacoma podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Jenny Jacobs and I fly Alaska. To book your next flight, go to alaskaair.com. This is Channel 253.